my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Michael T. Brown. He is a licensed professional counselor and serves as the principal of Brown's Leadership Consulting. Uh, Brown's Leadership Consulting provides counseling support to individuals and families, consulting services to organizations and businesses. Michael also served as a national trainer for the Y-Tri LLC, one of the nation's leading resilience education programs that specializes in student achievement. Michael also partnered with the DC Office of the Attorney General to serve as a trainer for their Violence Interrupter Program in 2020. He also authored Born to Achieve in uh, 2012 and A Beautiful Challenge in 2017. In 2013, Michael hosted the Brown Bag with Michael T. Brown on Blog Talk Radio, interviewing some key community difference makers and flashing the spotlight on the pertinent issues facing our society. I want to welcome you onto the show, Michael. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm, I'm certain this is going to be a pretty cool conversation. Uh, just having a brief conversation before we, we started recording, um, getting a little bit of your background. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm certain this is going to be pretty cool. So um, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm excited about it and look forward to our conversation. Let's start off in the beginning. Where where were you born and raised, and uh, you know what was your early life like? Yeah, I was born in Asheboro, North Carolina. Uh, lived there to like one one and a half, and then um, moved to Newburgh, New York, where I spent a lot some of my formative years with my family there. My my father was a, a pastor and a minister. And uh, he, he launched his ministry up in New York. And we stayed there until I was in about the, the fifth grade and then decided to move back home uh, to North Carolina, where he, he ministered in Sanford, North Carolina, where I finished uh, middle school, uh, junior high at the time, uh, and high school there. And um, yeah, so lived there with my family in North Carolina. And then after high school, uh, what what'd you do after that? Yeah, uh, after high school, went off to college. Uh, I spent one year at Elizabeth City State University. That's on the eastern shore of North Carolina. Then I transferred to uh, college in Greensboro, North Carolina, North Carolina A&T State, where I graduated in 98. Um, and then from there, went directly into graduate school in Maryland, uh, University of Maryland, eastern shore. And... Um, yeah, finished there in uh, 2000 and uh, started my career uh, pretty much right after that. Let's rewind a little bit. Yeah. As, as a toddler, 
your your family moved to you said Northburg, Newburgh, New York. New, okay, Newburgh, New York. Yeah, where is that at? That's uh probably about sixty miles north of of Manhattan. Oh, okay. Yeah, so kind of heading up towards that Poughkeepsie area. All right. Yeah. But you you mostly call North Carolina home. Yeah, I I would say I spent a, the largest part of my my upbringing in North Carolina, but certainly had some some good memories there in New York, so I have to to claim both to be honest with you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, and do you have any any siblings? I do. I have six siblings. No kidding. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, kind of a blended situation. Uh, both my parents had had some children before before they got married, um, and then there's three of us with, with both my parents combined. But yeah, all love, all family, and uh, yeah, still close to all of them. So, are you kind of like in the middle range age wise? Second, second youngest. Okay, cool. Yeah, and. Who would you say had the the biggest influence uh, on your trajectory uh, in life, like where you went to school, um, you know, as far as like uh, higher education and and what you studied? Yeah, I'd say definitely my parents had a major impact on my trajectory. You know, being being raised in a, a pastor's home, I had the opportunity, obviously, you know, learn and glean from my from my parents who served in ministry but their connection to others i remember um sitting dave in what i would call preacher conversations where and i look back at it, my dad who passed away in 2013 uh you know he would allow me to sit in these conversations with men and would just allow me to and it, and I, I gained so much from these conversations with of men, his his contemporary, his colleagues, and just and they would just talk about life and ministry and and their experiences. And now looking back, I can appreciate it so much. Those conversations and the and the nuggets and the wisdom that I was able to absorb from them, uh, it, it was almost like he knew I needed it. You know, we never talked about it, but he just allowed me to sit in these adult conversations and I gained so much and to be able to connect with him and his friends and, and people connected uh, to, to so many men and women who, you know, you know served uh, in that capacity, oftentimes not with a lot of fanfare, but they uh, were passionate about serving others I, that that had a tremendous impact on me. What was your major course of study in, in your undergrad and graduate degrees? Uh, my bachelor's is in psychology and master's is in education in guidance and counseling. And so after you earned your, your graduate degree, you, you went into education as a guidance counselor? That's right, went right into uh, guidance counseling, school counseling is called now. Um, as a middle school guidance counselor and spent 10 years there. Then I went over to the high school for about five years. And then one year after that, I did the training and the consulting for the YTRI organization where I went and um, shared with educators across the country about you know, resilient skills 
in helping, you know, their, their young people, you know, stay in school and, and uh, answer the question, why try, why, why work hard, why study, why go through, you know, and endure the tribulations of, of, of youth life. Uh, and then I came back, needed to get off the road, spent a lot of time on the road doing that. And then I went into the elementary school for two years and continued as a school counselor. And then after that, launched out into private practice. And, and in private practice, you you mean as a as a counselor, uh, like a marriage counselor, couples counselor? Yeah. Kind of thing? I see individuals, couples, and families uh, here regionally. You know, in the Washington D.C., Northern Virginia, Maryland area, uh, and across the country through video conferencing. And Dave, I can say I'm seeing some tremendous success with individuals I'm working with. And, um, you know, it's, uh, well, we can get into that a little bit more, but yeah, you learn a lot by hearing people uh, share so much of their lives and then, you know, trying to help them get more on a positive path. So as a, as a guidance counselor, were you in the same school district the entire time? The entire time. Yeah. And, and where, where at were you? Prince William County, Virginia, um, Woodbridge, Manassas area, uh, about, about 23 miles from uh, south of Washington, D.C. Right. And in those schools, like, how would you relate that to, to the people listening? Like, what, what kind of school district is it? You know, is it, you know, suburbs, city? Yeah. I'd say it's in suburbs. Yes, D.C. metropolitan suburb area. Um, very diverse very diverse because you think about this area so many people you know come here from other areas yeah. and um very diverse population how was that experience for you oh man it, it it was the gift that kept on giving you know to just be able to connect with people from so many different walks of life but at the same time you see the commonality in people that ultimately i believe many of us, you know, we want the same things and we want the same things for our children, for them to thrive and succeed and have the opportunity to, to, to reach their best self. Yeah. Where would you say your biggest successes were? And in like high school, middle school, elementary school? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like choosing one of your children. I had the opportunity to see them, you know, elementary, middle and high. And it, I, I can't say that you know one stands out more than the other when it comes to the success you see because at each level there's certain criteria and certain benchmarks you want to help them reach now obviously seeing you know teens in high school walk across the high school stage that stands out when you see them you know ultimately reach that goal that they spent so much time working towards you know getting that diploma and moving on to their into their their adult lives that that stands out, but at the same time, you know, even at elementary and middle, there's so much change and so much transition and so many benchmarks that they need to make in order to get to that high school level. Um, it, it's it's pretty cool seeing that trajectory. Yeah, when you see the the elementary student learn how to learn, because much of what we learn in life is taught in elementary school. And I think that's important to remember, right? You know, how we work with others. 
whether or not we develop a thirst or a hunger for knowledge. Oftentimes that's fed in elementary school, whether we play well with others in the sandbox, right? You know, that same principle relates to adults. And we learned that in elementary. In middle school, obviously, is so transitional. It's kind of some awkward years there, you know, where you're trying to learn how to fit in. You're trying to learn who am I, you know, uh, being popular and still trying to maintain a certain amount of, you know, academic excellence that's going to help propel you into high school. So on all three levels, I gained so much. And um, that, that experience was, is, is, was and still is so rich. I've got a three-part question here. Okay. As just in, in the first part of your life as a child, let's say pre-college, what was the biggest lesson that you learned? What was the biggest lesson you learned in your college years and the beginning of your career? And then after really gaining your footing and like, saying, okay, I know how to do this job. Moving on from there, what was the biggest lesson? And, and uh, you know, because I feel like those are three stages of our life that there's always something powerful that we learn. Mm, yeah. and, and, and it could be from a failure. It could be from a time that one of our mentors or somebody just somebody in our life taught us something that yeah. that changed the the course of our life you know does anything come to mind that that you could share first of all really really good questions will thought out um i would say pre-college one of the biggest lessons that i learned was the importance of loyalty and service um let's start with loyalty uh, commitment and loyalty to those who love us the teachers the mentors the people who are are passionate about what they do and are loyal to their commitment to what they do um when we feel when they felt like it when they don't i say you know oftentimes you know the two best times to do what we're called to do is when we feel like it and when we don't, that's that commitment. And I, I a teacher comes to mind, uh, Miss Green, eighth grade science. Just thinking about her and her passion for her subject. Man, I mean, you came into that class, Dave, and you were just expected to be on because she was on. And her passion. I'm, I still try to try to connect with old friends, see if I can find her. I still hadn't tracked her down. So if anybody's out there knows Miss Green in Sanford, North Carolina, get me her information. But um, so seeing her, seeing leaders, you know, uh, ministers who are passionate about what they do, servants, because ministry is about meeting the needs of people. And that's what I learned early on. Uh, my dad said this, and it still resonates to this day. He said, son, keep it simple. Love God and love people. That gift keeps giving. And when you find you're something that you're willing to be loyal to, family, friends, those around us. I think about your experience, right, in the fire department, your experience in the military, right? 
there's a certain loyalty and a commitment to the to, to the brotherhood that that you still find ways to serve, just like you're doing now, still finding ways to serve. So that's the I say one of the biggest lessons to me, uh, pre-college. And, and in the college years is to continue in early careers to continue to feed that, to continue to build the expertise. Um, you know, I, I love this, this acronym, uh, KSD, it's knowledge, skills, and desire. Knowledge is the what to do, right? What to learn. Skills is how to do it. And the desire is the want to do it. And I would say my, my college years and my early career, that was being fed to want to become, you know, great at something, to want to become an area expert, to be the best that I could be. Um, and those years that helped me work with young people, you know, reminded me of some of my experiences growing up. Sometimes we look at young people and we think, you know, they are who they are and this is who they're always going to be. We try to lock them into a label or pigeonhole them. I'm thankful for the people who didn't give up on me and who saw more in me than maybe I was showing at the time. People who gave me an opportunity. Uh, I remember a, um, um, an administrator in school, he said, you know what? He said, no, Mike, if you quit getting into trouble and quit goofing off, I'll help you get into college. And that was a game changer for me because he helped me navigate what that looked like, you know, being one of, uh, uh, having to navigate that experience, you know? Um, so in resilience is what I learned during those times, you know, to not, I say this to teens oftentimes, right? You know, don't mess, part of the job of teenage years and young life is to not mess up so bad that you can't recover. To maybe have some fender benders so that we don't have the crash and burn moments. And I think about some of my moments where, you know, you had those fender benders. You just thank God that, you know, we didn't crash and burn, which helped lead me into now, you know, what I'm doing. And that's trying to teach a lot of these principles. Um, helping individuals, helping families, you know, fight for their families, fight for their own mental health, their own, uh, their own well-being. So that's how I would break it down into those, those three components. I, I want to learn a little bit more about the, the Why Try organization that you were with. Yeah. And then also, when you were with the Attorney General, the, the Office of the Attorney General, when you were serving as a trainer for the violence interrupter program, like how, how were you selected for that? And, and what was the, the major course of work that you, you did a, as a part of that? Yeah. First with the Y Tri organization, um, friend and friend and colleague of mine, his name is Christian Moore. He's the founder of the Y Tri organization. And I met him and I was just so intrigued by that program. We connected as friends and, as, and I became a trainer for them based upon what I saw some of the work they were doing. The YHR organization um, goes and helps uh, school divisions, but also uh, you know, private companies and also uh, the prison population with resilience education you know, to what are the components that help us bounce back from adversity? And a big part of what the YTR organization teaches, they use a multi-method um, approach to help teach principles about hard work, reaching your goals and being resilient. And they do it through using visual metaphors, showing images that help children relate visually. So many people are visual learners. 
and they use music and um, you know counseling approaches and techniques to help drive home that point. So I found that fascinating. Being a school counselor, it was something that I used personally, and I thought it would be good for me to help teach others to use. So that that experience traveling the country was invaluable. Um, helping school divisions mostly that I worked with um, connect to their youth. Let's face it, you know, not everybody is gonna, not all students are sit and get, we just sit and lecture. You gotta get them up, get them moving, the kinesthetic learner, what about the visual learner? And to teach those truths, those principles from a multi-method approach was I found intriguing and I wanted to be a part of. And um, you're still connected with the folks over there and anybody who's interested, you know, certainly look them up online. It's, it's a it's a, it's a wonderful organization. So that was that experience as far as with the Office of the Attorney General and the Violence Interrupters, how I came on with that. Uh, my brother is also a consultant. His name is uh, Dr. Andre Brown, and he's he 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 was hired. His his group was hired, and I, I came along and, and assisted with him in helping formerly incarcerated adults get matriculated back into society. Because oftentimes, you know, the incarcerated population, if they don't have the supports, they'll go right back to the, the life or the lifestyle they were in. So what the violence interrupters do is those who return from the return from incarceration, we help train them to for them to take the lead in their community. Right. Some guys with some suits and ties might not be able to come in and connect with, you know, uh, what in the neighborhood, like somebody who's from that neighborhood. So we train them to get on the front lines and interrupt violence, getting to know who are the key players in communities who are gonna go and create problems, connect with them, build some resource, you know, wrap services around them. Um, so there's obviously an employment capacity to that. Cause oftentimes, you know, people in uh, communities that, that that are violent, a lot of times it's connected to poverty. So you have to have programs and resources and committed individuals who are willing to, to walk it out with people who are trying to reform their lives. And that, that experience to go in and help train some of these communicate, to teach communication skills, to talk deep, to train about de-escalation, anger management, um, but ultimately, right, needing to connect them to resources and jobs and job development. And that, that experience uh, was powerful. It sounds like, <clears throat> well, well, one, the, the violence interrupter program would be, it, it seems like uh, there would be a huge benefit to utilizing that why I try organization to teach those same people resilience. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's my, yeah, yeah go, you, go where you're going. Cause that's something I want to jump in on there. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's talk about the, the resilience aspect. Yeah. Um, what are, what are some of the tools that you provide uh, people when it comes to resilience, you know, overcoming adversity when, you know, that's really all, you know, because there's certain sections of our, of our country that that's yeah. all they know is adversity. 
and why i I mean that's a great question why try (laughs) yeah we need to answer that question right why get up and keep putting one foot in front of the other and pushing through adversity you know dealing with adversity obviously is something we all need right we're going to experience challenges uh and 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 some tribulations and some trials in life so one thing that really stands out with me is principles as far as it's important to be able to bounce back from adversity, but I think we need to be proactive. So, you know, it's kind of like it's, it, it, to teach someone how to bounce back from a, a crash or a wreck is one thing to help them prevent getting in the one is another. So I say we need to be we need to do both. We need to talk about being proactive, taking care of our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health to have career goals and work towards them, right? And then when we do run into adversity or challenges, the ability to bounce back and get back on track. Um, So some key principles when it comes to resilience is for me, it's to, to teach success principles, have principles and values and foundational truths that you can come back to, right? So, you think of someone who's been in, uh, let's say, for example, a war theater, right, and is dealing with um, how to assimilate back into society, maybe once you hang the boots up. Well, oftentimes, it's, it's those tried and true principles, right? You find a new brotherhood. Yeah, still in the fight the fight may look different. So those same principles of you still need to be connected to something, right? That we're not an island. We need people to help us. Um, I was listening to a video the other day that really stood out and the gentleman on the the video was talking about, he said, you know, I just don't want six people to carry me after I die as, you know, pallbearers. He said, I want six people to help carry me when I'm living. That really stood out to me that we need to have a support system around us, right? That can help us when we can't, when we're struggling to help ourselves. So building a support team around ourselves, um, to focus in on our mental, physical, spiritual health. And though that helps us navigate being able to bounce back from adversity and being able to know when to, to seek therapy, to get help. Um, you know, so those are just a few I'd start with for now. You, you mentioned principles, those success principles. And I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about your, your first book, Born to Achieve. Yeah. Is it in there you, you lay out some principles for success, correct? That's right. Yeah, and it's part of a big, the big crux of the book deals with finding our purpose and our passion. I, asked, I remember asking young people as a school counselor, uh, what would you do for a career if money were not an issue? If you get to do it just out of pure love, what would you choose? I think that's a good starting point. To have a job or a career or a calling that you get to say, I get to do this every day, not just I have to do it. So finding where, where, we're, where our skills lie, where, where are we drawn to? Um, 
Because I believe if you pursue our, your purpose, oftentimes the financial component will follow it versus chasing money and then hoping that you're good at it. Right? You know, you know, so so finding your finding our purpose and then being passionate about it. And then getting the skills, the development, the training that's going to help us thrive in this. That's a big part of what Born to Achieve is about. There's also leadership components in there, right? Finding, knowing that um, uh, there's a help wanted sign out here. And it's for leadership that uh, in many ways, I believe we all are leaders. First, starting with ourselves, right? We have to lead ourselves first. And then we can see about leading others. And I think great leaders are also uh, great students as well. So we talk about being lifelong learners in the book. And, you know, uh, but ultimately, Dave, it's about a lot of this work I'm noticing is, is connecting. My path has been connecting. All these things I've been learning are ultimately, ultimately lead individuals to, to wrestle with how do we win? in life? How do we define success? Uh, I believe winning teams have winning habits. Winning individuals have winning habits. And some of what we've been talking about, uh, some of these principles, some of these values help us build out disciplines to help us want to be successful in life. Ultimately, that definition of success is up to the individual. You know, um, and so I'll just pause there. Well, you, you touched on a couple of really cool things there that if you're open, I, I'd like to dive into the deep end of the pool with some philosophy here. Uh, I mean, this is, I, I've talked about it with, with a few other guests. Um, I, I wrote about it in my book, but there's this common thread yeah. from, I, I believe, the beginning of our written history, mankind's written history, where, you know, the thinkers of the day would contemplate the meaning of life. What is the yeah. purpose? What is, what is our purpose? Yeah. Why um, are we here? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I feel like the common thread and what we could actually say is our true purpose in the meaning of life is to add value to those people that are around us. And mm. the only, and the only way we can do that is to first add value to ourselves, you know, be an effective self-leader, add as much value to ourselves so that, yeah. and, and you're not going to hold anything back. You're going to share with those people around you so that they can improve themselves. And if That's everybody... Right. And if everybody did that, that's right. You know what a what a beautiful world we would live in. You know, right. And and the beautiful part of that to me, Dave, is the media and the technology we have is helping that to explode. Right. Look how we met. Yeah. Right. You 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 said at some phase, and you can obviously you can share your story. You know. Uh, but you said, let me just, what can I contribute? Well, I can do a podcast. And here we are. And hopefully we're adding value. Right. And I think you touched on something very key. I would say adding value to ourselves. Yes. That's self-care. That's um, 
us investing in ourselves. I would even go back further than that to know that you're already valuable. We were created with purpose, on purpose. I believe by a creator, right? You know, that I call it that that's God, uh, to know that we're already valuable. Now we have to invest in that and we have to invest in others. But so many people, right, are walking around not feeling valuable. And I want to say that to somebody who's listening today. You know, you are valuable. You were born valuable. And I, no matter what choices you've made that maybe have devalued yourself or others, get back to the center of knowing that you're here for a purpose. Now let's get about the business of pursuing it. And in our pursuit of doing that, we're going to make ourselves better and make those around us better. Yeah. But we have to have the confidence to know that there's value in us. And there's something that I believe God wants to get out of us. And we got to, you know, pursue it with passion. Uh, and be intentional about that investment and investing in others. Yeah, I think that brings us right back to that that violence interrupter program where you would connect with individuals that had been incarcerated, that had roots in a certain neighborhood that could then lead people that went down the same that are on the same path mm -hmm. that they had already been down. That's right. You know, those experiences where, you know, when, when people make mistakes, when they, when they do things that they believe they can't come back from, well, right there, they're not the only ones doing that crap. That's right. They're not. And they doing, get to make a decision. Right. They had. Hopefully they have to continue to make a decision. Am I going to contribute to my community or terrorize my community? And if I'll stop, if that individual says, you know what? I've stopped. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want to wreak havoc on my community. Now let me go out and help some mothers to do the same. And oftentimes they'll listen because they have the credibility of it. They're like, I know you sold drugs. I know you gangbang. I know you used to, you know, uh, stick people up or, or, or terrorize others. And when you meet with individuals who say, I'm, I'm, I want to be a contributor to my community. And it's going to need to be an inside job. Who does it? Nobody's going to come and save us. We can blame folks and we know there's historical things. We know there's societal impacts. There's no erasing it, right? We know, uh, you know, our history, right? In this country, there's a lot of history we can talk about. But at the end of the day, that's not a strategy to improve, right? Going down the history lesson is great. We need to talk about it and its impact. But ultimately, what changes communities? Healthy individuals change communities. And when you get enough of them fired up about wanting to make an impact, you know, I say this oftentimes, you know, people look at certain neighborhoods and talk about certain parts of the country and, you know, as if they live there and they know about everything that's in there. And it's in it. So I, living out here in the suburbs, Dave, I used to get that a lot. Yeah. Right. My wife's a teacher in D.C. And I used to get that sometimes I would talk to folks out here. Well, you know, the folks in D.C., you know, it's so bad down there. And I would just kind of listen. <laughs> I was kind of listen. And don't get me wrong. Obviously, there's challenges there. But there's challenges yeah. here in the suburbs, too. Yeah. 
but there's some nuggets in there. There's some, there, there's, there's lots of good things going on in our neighborhoods that we need to talk about. Now the news is going to talk about just what's bad, right? If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. On the news, we're going to talk about who got shot down, who got, who got gunned down. Let's talk about who's getting scholarships. Let's talk about who's, who's making an impact in the community. And if we'll highlight more of what's going on good, I think it's going to motivate and inspire more people. Yeah. So as you can see, I get pretty fired up about it. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what's great about these conversations. Uh, I I just want to go back to the the part where these individuals that I mean we've all done stupid crap, and I mean some of us yeah. more than others, but you know that in itself those experiences are valuable that's right that's right you know it you can allow that to take away value that's right you can you can allow that but if you frame it in the sense that now you have those experiences you you can step forward that's right and help others avoid those same pitfalls that's resilience that's resilience where if we're, and, and fortunately, so there's a balance, right? Between justice, yet grace and mercy. And we, we need, all need both, right? We need, we need all where obviously there's consequences to our actions, no doubt about it. And, you know, we need to deal with that. That way we, there can be a deterrent and we learn. But I don't know about you, Dave, I'm glad. I was given opportunities to recover. And the key is to ask myself, what did I learn from that? It's kind of like being on the hot seat. It's like, you know, if you don't like getting in trouble, be on the hot seat. It's kind of like, okay, we learned that lesson. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I heard it put this way. I kind of believe in this, you know, I don't want to keep making the same mistakes. Let them be new ones, right? (laughs) (laughs) To show that we've learned and hopefully can grow from it move forward and share our testimony with others that was one of my dad's hallmarks of his ministry that was in many ways the nucleus of his ministry he talked a lot about his mistakes and was transparent enough to share it (laughs) not that he glorified it and it was it was he talked about his wins as his successes as well but I think that's so valuable when we're willing to share some of our fender benders or crash and burn moments, but want to help others in the process. Don't make some of the same mistakes I made. Yeah. Do you have kids? I do. Three. How many? You got three kids? How, how old are they? Two 16 year olds and a 12 year old, about to be 13. If you were going to pass on some wisdom to them, yeah, I'm sure because of the age differences, it'd be two different messages. But if you were going to pass on a couple of nuggets to them, what, what would they be? Yeah, I would say uh, find what you love and commit your life to it. 
together and live on purpose, pursue your purpose, invest in others, invest in others, but make sure you invest in yourself uh, mentally, physically, and spiritually. You know, that spiritual part sometimes is the one of the three that oftentimes goes most malnourished. If for some people, you know, spirituality connects to a faith, a particular faith walk. For others, it's more connecting, you know, through service. The spirit part of us is the part of us that I say is the part that we can't see. Our creativity, our imagination, our will, our drive. Invest in those pieces, those parts, right? You know, the, the intangibles. Because if you'll make the right spiritual investment and connect to a higher power, connect to, for some who might not be in that realm, you know, that, that might not have a spiritual walk, for them, they maybe connect to a higher purpose, a higher calling, whatever it is for each individual, is to know that you're part of something bigger than yourself and to, I uh, like the way Mahatma Gandhi said, he said, you know, one of the best ways to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Like Jesus, the master teacher, put it this way. He said, you know, the best way to gain your life is to be willing to lose your life in the service of others. And um, so those would be some nuggets I'd share. I wanted you to kind of lay out or summarize your second book, A Beautiful Challenge. And, and the, the main message in that. Yeah, the main message of A Beautiful Challenge is that some things in life are worth fighting for. And relationships, healthy relationships are one. That anything worth having is worth fighting for. And whether it's a romantic relationship, a work relationship, a family relationship, any relationship, right? We need to be able to communicate effectively. We need to be able to ask for what we need, be willing to give and serve others, particularly in a romantic situation, right? With love languages, meeting people in the language that they can understand. And there's also a component of the book, Dave, that talks about forgiveness, that in many ways, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door to our healing. Because if I think about it, a married couple, if you're going to be in a relationship that's going to be healthy long-term, I think there needs to be a healthy dose of forgiveness. I say in many ways, that's what marriage is from my perspective. Can you keep forgiving and coming back to the table? And that's not just for, right, you know, romantic relationships, but friendships, family relationships. Um, and... So the book talks about that, you know, the need to communicate effectively, to realize that we can't, I got one chapter in the book called, you know, you can't change me. And that deals with, you know, the fact that oftentimes we want to change people or we take on relationships wanting to be the project manager. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> you know, it's like people oftentimes resist change, particularly yeah. at the hands of someone else. So we have to be selective in who we're going to be with. Yeah. So, you know, the selection process matters. You know, uh, I talk a little bit about that in the book as well. There's an old school term that we don't hear as much anymore called courting, right? Where you actually had to get to know someone 
or more when I was in high school, we used to call it, you know, you were talking to somebody. You might not, you know, be with them. It's like, no, do you go with her? Like, no, we're, we're talking, right? And what that was, right, there's a period of time where you were non-committal. Yeah. Were you learning the person's character, how they, uh, how they act in public, right? You know, how they, where you learn maybe their parents, you had to get to know their parents, you know? Uh, and I know some of that may be considered old fashioned, but I think there's a value in getting to learn people and, uh, you know, uh, kicking the tires a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned forgiveness. Yeah. Can you define forgiveness? Because I think, well, I, I can speak from personal experience. I've struggled with forgiveness and it was framed in such a way for me where I was finally able to, to forgive. And the way it was framed for me was it's not for them. It's for mm. you. You're not saying that what they did was okay. You're just saying, I'm no longer going to allow that to negatively impact me. That's good. That's good. I, I, I see the value in that. And I think that's a big part of forgiveness. Forgiveness, first of all, I would say it's not, it's not always easy, particularly if it's deep-seated. And if we may still have to be dealing with the consequences of the action of the other person. But I say forgiveness is a choice to let go of the negativity, the animosity, the bitterness that comes from unforgiveness. Unforgiveness just may be too heavy a lift to keep going. So it is a choice to say, you know what? To your point, it's not that what you did was right. What you did might not ever be right. But so it's not condoning bad behavior or injustice. It's saying, you know what? I choose to release this person. And I oftentimes say that with my clients. We will we'll go through that mantra day where here's the mantra, you know, I choose to forgive anyone who's ever hurt me, including myself. The choice to let go of it. Now, forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. Uh, my dad used to say, you know, sometimes you have to love people with a long handled spoon. Right? You know, I love you, but there needs to be some distance so that you might not hurt me again. It can mean reconciliation, but it doesn't always mean that. So forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of um, releasing the offense, releasing the, net, the emotion that may come with the offense. And one of the greatest ways, I think, to help us forgive um, as the Gospels teach, is to realize that we too will need forgiveness. To know that the knife cuts both ways. And if anybody, anybody who may be listening can, can deal with this thought, have you ever made a mistake that you wish you could change? Maybe it hurt someone. And perhaps you give your left arm to change it, but you can't change it. So the same forgiveness I'm going to need, I need to give to others. And when that unforgiveness comes up, and let's face it, we may think we've forgiven, and then you may see that person like, oh, man, I'm still holding on to this, or, you know, 
they haven't even necessarily apologized. Sometimes we have to forgive when there's not even an apology to be able to say, you know what? I'm gonna let go of that negativity. I wanna be free. Forgiveness in many ways equals freedom. I'm free from the negativity of unforgiveness. And when that unforgiveness comes up, we can choose to forgive again. You know what, and say, you know what? I need to forgive again. It's still hurtful, it's still painful. I'm choosing to forgive. So if I'll make the choice to forgive, then hopefully my actions will line up with that forgiveness. What does a person who has forgiven act like? Well, they hopefully can move forward into their destiny. Yeah. What's the difference between grace and forgiveness? Or is there a difference? Hmm. I think there is a difference. Forgiveness is the act of saying, you know, I want, I want to release you from what you did. Grace, I'd say, is a gift that uh, many would say, you know, is giving space now for you to move on. Imagine a judge saying, right, I forgive you. Right, right. No, no. Imagine, imagine an offender, someone who's offended someone saying, you know, I choose to forgive you. Grace may say, you know what? You could even come over to the house and hang out some. Forgiveness might can be, you know, I forgive you. I may never talk to you again. Forgiveness could be forgiving that parent who didn't show up for you or who was, who, who was not a part of your life. And maybe they are deceased. It'd be important to forgive that person, but we might not be able to extend any grace to them because they moved on, they transitioned. Grace, to me, I've heard the definition that is, you know, it's, it's, it's unmerited favor. It's giving you something that you didn't necessarily deserve. I'm going beyond forgiveness now. I want to extend grace to you, right? I may open the doors up for you. I may invite you over. We may be able to reconnect or reconcile and reconcile. Yeah. I like that. Because that's my perspective on it. Yeah, no, uh, that it sounds. Uh, I mean, it really is semantics. It's what we what we want it to mean, right? Yeah. And and the, grace the, creates space. Yeah. Grace creates space. So if we, if I extend you grace to say, you know what? Not only do I for, do I forgive you, it's saying I want to make room for you. There's a seat at the table. Now I may need to put boundaries in place, right? Just because I forgive you for not paying me back doesn't mean I'm gonna keep loaning you money, right? <laughs> the grace may be, you may still owe me money, but I know you need it. So I wanna extend you some grace. Extend you some grace, but not being overly concerned about you paying me back. I, I brought that up because, you know, I've had some family members in my life that, you know, struggled with addiction and you, it can be a struggle to forgive some of the things, you yeah. know, when those relationships. So in my case, there hadn't been forgiveness there hadn't been grace or anything like that and they 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 died yeah 
Mm. And with that comes guilt with, okay, what was my role in this? You know, I could have forgiven them. I could have repaired that relationship. When, when struggling with guilt, I think that is when we have an opportunity to extend ourselves some grace. That's right. Remember the declaration. I choose to forgive everyone who's ever hurt me, including myself. That's where we need to forgive ourselves, extend grace to ourselves. Because oftentimes that's going to be the blueprint for us to be able to forgive others. It's hard to forgive others if we don't forgive ourselves. It's the same principle to say, you know what, maybe I didn't do the best I could with that situation. And let's face it, some of that may be our cross to bear. But with that being said, that cross can get a little lighter if we commit to forgiving ourselves. You know, sometimes Dave, people do the best they can what they have at the time at the time that's not giving us that's not just giving a pass sometimes we don't do the best we can at the time right you know whatever the situation is but so it's not making an excuse or giving ourselves a pass but hopefully it can inform us moving forward to say you know what i can't go back to those family members and change what happened while they were here. Sometimes we might need to go to that grave site and have a conversation. That can help heal, but also with those people coming down the pipe, the relationships you're gonna, that we're gonna continue to have to say, okay, I've learned the lesson from the last time. I need to forgive and extend grace sometimes even when it hurts. Now, again, that's different from boundaries. We may still need to have boundaries, but um, forgiveness coupled with grace. I like how you tie that together. That's a, that's a powerful duo there. For those listening, <clears throat> If they wanted to get a hold of one of your books or both of your books or connect with you, enlist your services, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Absolutely. They can go right to my website, uh, roundsleadership.com. They can purchase books right there from the website. Um, and on there is my, uh, my email. And it's uh, email at brownsleadership.com. Uh, social media handle, Twitter is uh, at mtbrown98. Uh, Facebook at um, the Brown Bag. Uh, you can search my name there. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to hearing from folks and they can reach me, reach me from there. Are, are those social media uh, links on your website as well? I believe they are. So what I'll do is I'll have a link to your website in the show notes. So awesome. people listening can just go right there and, and find you. Um, before we go, I, I know we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel is important and, and you'd like to share with the audience? No, I would just leave this with the audience. Well, first of all, Dave, thanks for the invite. I've enjoyed this. I found this is helpful for me as well. And um, I just commend you for what you're doing. 
and I encourage you as I encourage the audience to to find your passion and commit to it get excited about it because it's a not only is it going to impact our lives positively when we serve others but it's going to leave a an imprint on lives to come you know and we'll be able to continue to make our world better when we roll up our sleeves and, and do the work of investing in ourselves and investing in others so uh, uh again thanks for the invite and uh god bless you and your audience amen thank you thank you so much for coming on taking the time appreciate Absolutely. it appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of from embers to excellence Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, Our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.